Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Thursday, December 29th. Coming up, how Kansas City changed its approach to housing and homelessness policy this year. But first, some headlines. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly has banned TikTok from devices used by some state employees. David Condos of the Kansas News Service has more. Kelly's order means employees of the Kansas executive branch can't access TikTok on their state-owned phones, laptops, and other devices. Kansas joins the federal government and 14 other states that have already banned the popular video-sharing platform. But Kelly is the first Democratic governor to do so. TikTok is owned by a China-based company, and there's concern that the Chinese government could use the app to collect users' data. The Federal Bureau of Investigation has warned that poses a national security threat. In a statement, Kelly called on other state agencies, such as the Kansas Legislature and Attorney General's Office, to ban TikTok on their employees' devices. The Kansas City streetcar will kick off the new year, asking for bids to build a three-quarter mile extension to the riverfront. KCUR's Carlos Moreno has more on the next phase of construction. Construction is expected to begin in 2023 on a streetcar extension from the river market north to the Berkeley Riverfront. Meanwhile, workers have already laid a quarter of the track for the southward route from Union Station to UMKC. Streetcar director Tom Guerin says in the coming year, residents will see power poles and other infrastructure installed along Main Street. It feels like like a long time, but before you know it, uh, we'll be out of the ground and done with construction and we'll have a 50 plus year investment and we'll be reaping the benefits of it. In total, the projects are estimated to cost $400 million, and both should be ready for riders in late 2025. We'll be back after this. Okay, so you may call yourself a Kansas Cityan, but did you know the famous chocolate sandwich cookie that predates the Oreo was born right here in Kansas City? Come to a live podcast event with a people's history of Kansas City to get the story of Hydrox Cookies, the OG Oreo, complete with a taste test. We'll be at Rochester Brewing and Roasting Company in the Crossroads Friday, March 29th. Get your tickets now. They went crazy quick last time we did this. Go to kcur.org cookies. See you there. Affordable housing and homelessness continue to be an issue in Kansas City. This year, the city added money to its Affordable Housing Trust Fund, changed its approach to helping unhoused people in cold weather, and welcomed hundreds of refugees who had to make a new home in their new country. Those topics were a big part of KCUR reporters Carlos Moreno and Salisa Kalakal's coverage this year. They sat down with me to tell me more. Salisa, affordable housing is a perennial issue that comes up in Kansas City. How did the city attempt to tackle affordable housing this year? They attempted to tackle this issue through several ways, the biggest of which was essentially uh, throwing funding at affordable housing. So the city has a housing trust fund. This year, the housing trust fund allocated about $8 million to fund uh, different affordable housing projects throughout the city. And then also the city council essentially 
actually passed um, a $50 million bond to actually go into the housing trust fund uh, over the next couple of years. That had to be approved by voters and it did pass. So that's a huge uh, cash infusion into the housing trust fund. And basically the whole purpose is to fund projects that would either create more affordable housing, preserve affordable housing, and also uh, support homeownership. So that's one big way. Um, another big way the city has tried to address affordable housing is by changing some of the development policies around affordable housing. So this year, uh, city council actually changed the affordable housing set aside, which essentially that's a rule for developers where if you're a developer and you want a tax incentive for your project, you have to have X number of units be affordable housing. Um, the city council actually relaxed some of those uh, requirements um, and actually changed the definition of what is affordable uh, for people living in Kansas City and for renters in general. Um, but that was met with pushback from housing advocates. So why did some advocates oppose some of the city's plans for building affordable housing? With changing the definition of affordable specifically, they felt that the city's definition was essentially too, it was too broad. So the city defines affordable housing by, they look at the entire Kansas City metro. So they take Johnson County, Wyandotte County, you know, parts outside just Kansas City, Missouri, and then they take the incomes of both homeowners and renters. And basically from doing all that math, the price of a one bedroom that would be considered affordable in Kansas City would be about $1,200. Um, and Casey tenants specifically, the citywide tenant union, they pushed back on that definition and they said that essentially that's still not affordable for the average working class renter in Kansas City. A lot of tenants spoke about their personal experiences uh, really struggling to pay current market uh, rents in Kansas City. And they said that $1,200 for a one bedroom, especially if you're trying to you know, live with a family with multiple kids, two parents, it's not necessarily the most feasible or the cheapest. Um, and that was a big pushback that city council got. The ordinance still passed, so that is kind of the new definition of affordable housing. And the concern that Casey Tenants has is that the city is still not building enough for the lowest income renters. So, Carlos, you reported a lot on homelessness. How did Kansas City change its approach to homelessness this year? Well, the weather plan, the extreme weather plan that the city initiated last year called on the different shelters to provide an online database, an online chart where different homelessness and unsheltered folks could look to find a place to stay in sub-freezing temperatures. And there was a certain, I think it was uh, 28 degrees temperature that the city had set f to open these shelters to the homeless whenever it turned that cold. But this year, they changed that plan. And instead of offering warming centers, instead of offering that online uh, database of beds, they simply left it up to five different shelters in the city to provide 24-7 freezing weather shelters for people from December 1 through February 28th. And it can be anybody uh, that can go into these different shelters 24 hours, seven days a week, but they don't have the online database and we're not opening the community centers as warming sh uh, shelters this year. So this year, Kansas City started paying for lawyers for tenants in housing court. So Lisa, you covered that. Why did the city start doing this? 
Yeah, so it actually came um, from a push from Casey Tennant's, uh, the Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom, which is a legal nonprofit, uh, and the Missouri Worker Center, uh, basically coming out of the idea that when tenants find themselves in eviction court, more often than not, they do not have a lawyer by their side to advocate for them, to fight for them in court. Um, and because it's more common for tenants to not have a lawyer, they're actually more likely to end up losing their eviction case, uh, end up with an eviction on their record. And that can have really dire, you know, consequences when they're, when they try to rent again. And so the purpose of uh, establishing this program was to essentially provide a free attorney to anyone who ends up in eviction court in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, and so far, it's been going really well. Uh, the city has been contracting with legal organizations like Legal Aid of Western Missouri and the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Law to essentially represent tenants uh, who end up in eviction court. Um, fight for them, let them know what their rights are as tenants. Um, and essentially, they can be that person to negotiate with the attorney representing the property management company. Uh, and the results so far uh, look very uh, promising. Basically, they've turned some stats around where now that tenants are being represented by attorneys, um, they're looking at more favorable outcomes, which means avoiding eviction, establishing maybe a payment plan uh, with the property manager, avoiding eviction altogether, um, and uh, generally letting uh, tenants stay in their homes. So it is leading to better outcomes for tenants, and that was the whole purpose of the program uh, to begin with. Carlos, one story that you've been keeping up with this year is the arrival of hundreds of refugees to the area. How are things going for them? You know, things have settled down. There was this initial scramble uh, last year around September 11th when the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan. And it really kind of caught a lot of the resettlement agencies off guard. And they had to, you know, ramp up with staffing, ramp up with funding, ramp up with infrastructure. And that was a really big push for several months for them to get settled and figure out a plan. And, and of course, accept all the refugees that were arriving pretty, pretty fairly suddenly. But now, about a year, just a little over a year later, the, the most of the resettlement agencies are saying that they've very much slowed down. That the the flow of immigrants has slowed down a little bit. They're able to. Most uh, resettlement agencies say they've found housing for almost all of these refugees. Now, the housing may or may not be exactly what they want at the moment. Some people are crowded into different uh, small apartments. Some people are crowded in different in small houses. Uh, but they they report that most all of these refugees have found. Uh, housing. Many have found jobs and many are at this point, it's, it's not so much the process of bringing in immigrants. Now it's the process of acclimating them to our society, to our culture. And they're learning how to drive. They're learning our laws or learning our rules and, and getting accustomed to the way things work in the Midwest. Are we expecting any more refugees to come to the area? As a matter of fact, yes. Uh, we're still expecting a small influx of Afghan refugees, but another uh, couple of groups are also showing up that's kind of new to, no, I shouldn't say new to the area, but we're expecting more Cuban refugees and more Haitian refugees to show up. We've had an unprecedented number of Cubans showing up on U.S. shores and also coming across the, the, the U.S. border with Mexico. And a lot of them will be making their way to Kansas City as well. We're picking up another wave of 
Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, Sudanese, and and other refugees from Africa who are continuing, uh, you know, to grow the population here in the Northeast Kansas City area. They're they're showing up in, in relatively small numbers, but it's a continual number of immigrants who continue to show up here. A lot of them because they have family here already. They've established those ties locally, and they're finding that the Midwest is a very comfortable place for them to be. We're, we still have relative to the rest of the country, fairly affordable housing and a fair number of jobs. And that makes this an attractive area for a lot of different immigrants to, to find their way home. That was KCUR reporters Salisa Kalakal and Carlos Moreno. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios. For more local news from Kansas City's NPR station, visit KCUR.org, where you can read Carlos and Salisa's reporting on housing issues. Tomorrow, we'll review the biggest criminal justice stories of 2022. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Oreo is the most famous cookie in the world, but few people remember the product that it blatantly ripped off, a creation of Jacob Luce in Kansas City. Not only was Oreo this copycat of Hydrox, it was also built on the back of the company that Jacob had founded himself. How Kansas City started the cookie wars. Hear the whole story on the podcast, A People's History of Kansas City.